Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Happy Veterans Day to all of our military veterans. Thank you for your sacrifice and service. Today, in honor of Veterans Day, staff evangelist and veteran James Collins is speaking with the hero of Black Hawk Down, Jeff Strucker, about faith under real fire. Our Fall Virtual Prophecy Conference recently finished up. People from all over the country logged on and watched sessions from nine of the nation's top prophecy teachers. The entire conference is now available on DVD. Sessions from Billy Crone, Larry Stamm, Rob Linstead, Bill Federer, Michael Hoggard, Eric Barger, James Collins, Michael Samuel Smith, and Larry Spargimino. All these speakers, all the teaching sessions, all on DVD. Get the complete Fall Virtual Prophecy Conference on DVD today for a gift of $50 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order this DVD set online, swrc.com. Now, let's join James Collins and listen to a fascinating story of bulletproof faith. I have the utmost respect for a guy that can put a ball through a hoop, and it takes great athleticism to be able to stand flat-footed and throw a football 50 yards. However, I don't think the word hero should be used to describe a professional athlete especially those with terrible morals, those who are so unpatriotic they refuse to stand for the American flag. No, I believe the word hero is reserved for a special kind of person, a person like the man who is on the program with me today. Jeff Struker enlisted in the United States Army when he was 18 years old. He spent most of his Army career serving in special operations units. In 1993, Jeff was a 24-year-old sergeant and squad leader assigned to Task Force Ranger in Somalia as part of the 75th Ranger Regiment. On October 3, 1993, Jeff led the three-vehicle convoy that returned through intense fire wounded Ranger Private Todd Blackburn to base. In 2001, the battle was the basis of the book and the movie Black Hawk Down. He's here with me today to discuss Bulletproof Faith. Jeff, welcome to our program. Thanks for being on today. It's great to be with you. Jeff, even though this is the first time that our paths have crossed, I'm familiar with your story. I first read about you, oh, I guess it was around 2004, in a little pamphlet called Bulletproof Faith, which was put out by Campus Crusade for Christ. Bulletproof Faith tells your story and shares the gospel in a powerful way, and I must have given out hundreds of those little booklets when I was an Army chaplain. I understand that over a half a million copies have been distributed around the world. How did Bulletproof Faith come about? Right after the book Black Hawk Down was released, there started to be some discussion about turning this into a movie. And when the movie was under production, but I don't think it was out yet, I was asked to speak about my experiences in Somalia at a Campus Crusade fundraiser. The head of military ministry for Campus Crusade said, Jeff, we would like somebody to come in and talk about Black Hawk Down. I came in and I spoke. They asked if we could record this story when I was speaking. And the people that I sat next to were just blown away by the story. And one of them became a really good friend of mine. His name is Dr. Bill Buck. He just recently passed away. 
Dr. Buck said, your story really needs to be in print. In fact, we want a lot of people to read your story. I was still on active duty. I was a chaplain. I was very busy. You know the life of (laughs) an active duty chaplain. And I just simply said, I don't have the time to do it. And he asked me a very serious question that night. Would you trust me? If you will trust me, I'll take the audio recording of what you just did and turn it into a book. And he literally created the book, financed the book, raised support for the book, distributed the book. To his dying day, when we talk about Bulletproof Faith, I tell him, that's your book. It's not my book. You did everything. I just stood up and gave a talk one day, and it became that book. So that's how the whole gospel track, Bulletproof Faith, came into existence. Well, I want to back up for just a little bit. Now, you enlisted right after high school. Why did you want to be an airborne ranger? I know the cadence. I want to be an airborne ranger. I want to live a life of danger. But now tell me, why did you want to do that? Well, I didn't really know what I was getting into, to be honest. In fact, my high school buddy, he had already enlisted. We were both still seniors in high school when he enlisted. And he kind of talked me into going to a recruiter. He wanted one of those jobs that you could get a high-paying skill in the Army and get out. That wasn't me. I wanted a challenge. So I stumbled into the Ranger Regiment because I asked a recruiter, what's the toughest job in the Army? And he said, look, kid, I don't know if you got what it takes, but there's no question the toughest job in the Army is the Army Rangers. And that's how I ended up heading that way. Wow. Now, you said you had two goals when you joined the Army. What were those goals? I wanted to see if I was tough enough to serve with the best of the best. I mean, that was ultimately the reason for joining the Army in the first place. But the second reason is I wanted to go to war. I wanted to prove myself on the battlefield. And this goes back to my early childhood. I grew up with a terrifying fear of death. And when I came to faith in Christ at 13 years old. When Jesus saved me, he also radically took away this fear of dying. So when I joined the army, I still wanted to know, am I really over this fear of dying? And for me, going to combat, getting shot at, that's the only way to determine it. I didn't have a death wish as much as I wanted to know, am I really over this terrifying fear that I had? Wow. Well, you served in the 1989 invasion of Panama in Operation Just Cause, later on in Kuwait in Operation Desert Storm, but your faith wasn't really tested until 1993 in Mogadishu, Somalia. Tell me how you came to serve in East Africa. I had been in the Army for about six years. I was a squad leader, which means I had 10 men that I was responsible for. And we were doing some training away from our home base when we got notified that we were going to get sent as part of Task Force Ranger to Somalia. Now, if you're listening to this and you've seen the movie Black Hawk Down, in those first 30 seconds, they put all of that print on the screen to try to describe what's going on. But really, the basic essence of this is the country's descending into chaos. There is a famine with hundreds of thousands of people already dead in the spring and fall of 1992. By December of 92, the U.S. Marines land on the beaches of Somalia and start to provide food for people that are starving to death. And in the spring of the following year, the country, because they don't have a government, there were basically a handful of guys that were trying to become the most powerful man in the country. And they did it by just killing everybody else. One of those guys started to target United Nations workers, started to target U.S. supply convoys. And in the summer of 1993, this guy by the name of Mohammed Farah Idid ambushed 24 United Nations workers. 
which prompted the UN Security Council to say, we've got to bring ID to justice. And that's what caused Task Force Ranger, this several special operations units to come together with almost no notice to go to Somalia and to go kill or capture ID. If you're just joining us on the program today, I'm talking with Jeff Struker. Jeff is a former Army Ranger who served in Mogadishu, Somalia, in the battle that became famous in the book and movie Black Hawk Down. Jeff, a task force ranger had conducted six missions where everything went as planned, but on the seventh mission, things kind of fell apart. Take me back to October 3rd, 1993. What happened that day? We got a tip that two really high-ranking people from Ideed's clan were meeting in the same building at the same time. For us, that had never happened. But the problem is it's in the middle of daylight. It's in the very part of town that Ideed controls. And this is about as bad of circumstances as you can get. We all knew that. So our plan was to go in there as fast as we can, get these two guys, and to get out of there in less than 30 minutes. And even our planners and our big boss, Major General William Garrison, knew that if we're there for more than 30 minutes, there's a good probability that we're going to get vehicles blown up or helicopters shot down. And for 30 minutes, man, it pretty much went the way that we thought it was going to go. We were just about ready to leave when the first Black Hawk got shot down. And then the second Black Hawk. And what your listeners may not know is actually six Black Hawks flying in the city that day carrying troops. Five of the six get shot down. Two of them crashed in the city in hostile territory. The others were able to crash in what's kind of UN-controlled territory. The movie and the book Black Hawk Down described this really well. The rest of the night just becomes a rescue mission to get to those two Black Hawks and to recover as many people as possible, see if there's any survivors, and if not, recover their bodies. Private First Class Todd Blackburn fell 70 feet from a Black Hawk helicopter. Tell me about him. The one exception that happened immediately after launching the mission on October 3rd, the mission that becomes known as Black Hawk Down, When the helicopters are flying in, the special operators go in on little, small, little bird helicopters. The rangers from my company were flying in on Blackhawks, and those rangers were supposed to slide down ropes. We call it fast rope. And we don't really know exactly why this happened, but when Todd Blackburn left the Blackhawk helicopter to grab the fast rope, he missed the rope, as you just said, landed in the city streets from about 70 feet up in the air and was already unconscious by the time that I got there. I'm leading a long column of humvees through the city streets when my boss calls me, and I'm just about a half a block away from where this happened. And my boss says, Jeff, you need to get Blackburn on your humvees. You need to get him back to our base. We need to get him immediate medical attention. Well, on the way back to the airfield, to the base, you started taking fire. Tell me about that. I've been in gunfights, in, as you just described, in the invasion of Panama, got into a gunfight in Desert Storm, been in firefights or in mortar fire, rocket fire, the whole time that we're in Somalia. And I'm in a gunfight as soon as we get to the target building in Black Hawk Down. But the bullets are far enough over my head that I really wasn't that worried about them. I've been shot at enough that I know what's close and I know what's far enough away. So we're driving Blackburn back to the base. We're driving pretty slow to avoid potholes because this is where the Somalis were placing roadside bombs. And when we turned onto one of the major roads, and when I say major road, I'm talking like gravel road in rural Oklahoma. But when we turned that road, man, we started to get hit from every imaginable direction. 
and it came from a hundred different locations. It was point blank range, and we were getting shot from doorways and alleyways and windows, you name it. It was coming in from all over the place. This is where I got into, to this day, the most intense gunfight of my life, where Dominic Pillow was shot and killed right next to me. Yeah, tell me about Dominic. He was your machine gunner. Yeah, I had a private first class. His name was Brad Paulson, who was on a Browning 50 caliber machine gun on top of my Humvee. And then I had another sergeant who was sitting behind me with a machine gun. And I directed Paulson's machine gun to the left side of the Humvee, trying to just accurately engage the overwhelming number of bad guys around me. And I told Dominic Pillow to take his machine gun and face to the right side of the Humvee. So now I've got machine guns on both the left and the right. I'm going to use my weapon in the front of the vehicle. Another guy behind us in the back seat is going to take care of the back side of the vehicle. And right now, what warriors do, you know this very well, is we're just trying to keep each other alive. And there's a Somali gunman that's on the right side of the Humvee. He's hiding, waiting for us. And when we got right next to him, he shot and killed Dominic Pilla at the same moment that Pilla saw him, shot and killed him. The two guys killed each other at the same instant. So you had to return to base. Praise God you made it back to Task Force Ranger Base at the airfield. And then when you made it back, your platoon leader ordered you to go back again. Tell me what happened there. We finally get back to the base. Blackburn is barely hanging on to life. Dominic Pilla is dead. The vehicles are shot to pieces. And the rest of the assault force is still out in the city streets. I was fighting for my life, literally fighting for my life just to make it back to the base. So I didn't really know what was going on with everybody else. And when I got back there, my platoon leader said, Jeff, we've had two Blackhawks shot down. Now, we have a small reserve force called a search and rescue force that we've already placed. They went in by helicopter at the site of the first crashed Blackhawk. But now we don't have anybody else who can go out there where the second Blackhawk crashed. This is Mike Durant's helicopter. And my boss said, hey, I need you to get your men back on those Humvees. Go back out there and see if anybody's alive at the Durant crash site. And, of course, this is one of the most difficult and terrifying things I've ever been asked to do in the military. Your men were afraid, and you had to have a conversation with one of them. Tell me about the conversation you had with Brad Thomas. Rangers are well-trained. They're incredibly disciplined, highly patriotic. But this kind of fear, there's no amount of military training for it. I mean, when you know I'm going to die, it becomes crippling to some people. And Brad was in my squad. He and I were the only two guys in my squad that were married. And so I sent all the rest of my guys to go get some more fuel and more ammunition. And Brad came up to me and he said, hey, Sergeant, listen, I got a wife. I know I'm going to die if I go back out there. I can't do this. He was just genuinely terrified about the fact that if I go out there, I will die. He also knew that if I don't go out there, the guys at the crash site are going to die. And now it becomes, this is a suicide mission, basically. And this is a moment where I don't think these words were my own. I don't really know where they came from. But I basically, instead of getting angry with him, instead of, you know, barking orders at him, which is what I probably would have done in another circumstance, I just simply said, Brad, listen, man, I'm scared too. All of us are. And I don't want you to think about yourself as a coward simply because you're afraid. And this is something I I hope your listeners will hear me say next. 
I told Brad, and this is true of you, whoever's listening to this broadcast, it's not fear that makes you a coward. It's actually not a lack of fear that makes you a hero. I told Brad, the difference between a hero and a coward is what you do when you are afraid. That's the difference. And then just exactly like it shows in the movie Black Hawk Down, I watched this guy bend down and pick up his squad automatic weapon, jump on the last Humvee as we were rolling back out there and he spent all night long with me. And he fully believed that he was going to die. I'm incredibly proud of that guy. You went back out, you took more fire, and eventually you came upon a group of rangers that were in bad shape. What happened after that? We met up with a bunch of rangers that were in vehicles that were shot to pieces. One of the vehicles couldn't move any anymore, so we grabbed all of the guys that were on those Humvees, put them on the good working vehicles. I had to destroy one of those Humvees in the city streets. And we brought those guys back to the base. Now, this is my second time back. And I thought that that was everybody who went in by helicopter. But then I learned, well, half of the guys went on foot to the crash site. So we have still about half of our force out there. And they're all on foot now. The vehicles can't keep going out there. They're shot to pieces. So our unit commander asked the United Nations to help out. And at about 11 o'clock that night, the Pakistanis came with tanks and the Malaysians came with armored personnel carriers and other U.S. Army soldiers showed up and we went back out into the city streets. I stayed on the same two Humvees with three of the four tires shot flat underneath me and spent from 11 o'clock that night until 9 o'clock the next morning on the city streets trying to get to those guys who were on foot and fighting for their lives. October 3rd and 4th were days of intense fighting. When the battle was over, you said that it wasn't the bullets or blood that made such an impression on you. What or who was it that impacted you in a life-changing way? I already had a rock-solid relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to make sure your listeners know that. That I settled at 13 years old. And I tried to be active in sharing my faith when I was a sergeant in the Army Rangers. But a lot of the Rangers that I talked to, they just didn't want to hear about it. Kind of like, I don't need to know. I don't care. I got lots of time to figure that out. Well, after the big battle was over with, those guys were coming up to me and they were saying, Jeff, I listened to you on the radio last night. Or I saw you in the city streets and Jeff, you have something that I don't have. And I want it. And I had guys lined up waiting to talk to me about my faith that night. And that for me was a very definitive call to ministry. Like it was very clear to me the Lord wanted me to do something different with my life. And that's what set me on path to become an Army chaplain. Well, you got out of the Army, you went to seminary, but your career wasn't over. You came back in, you commissioned as a chaplain, and then you had multiple tours as a chaplain in Operation Enduring Freedom in Afghanistan, Operation Iraqi Freedom. Tell me about serving as a chaplain and bringing soldiers to God and God to soldiers. My last 10 years in the Army, I spent in both airborne and special operations units. I deployed nine times to Afghanistan, five times to Iraq in those last 10 years. And I really felt like, God, you put me through all of those circumstances when I was a sergeant so that I could look guys in the eyes and say, I know exactly what you're going through. I've been there. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, there is a big difference going to war and getting shot at with a solid Christian faith versus the guy or the gal that doesn't have it. And that's really what the last 10 years of my military career was, looking guys and gals in the eyes, mostly in Afghanistan and Iraq, and telling them 
there's a world of difference when Jesus Christ is the center of your world and you're in combat. Amen. Your mission now, I understand, is to share your personal story of survival on the battlefield and to teach others how they, too, can be prepared for any circumstances that life throws at them. And I, like you, understand the first step in being prepared is to put your trust in Jesus as your personal Savior. Now, there may be someone listening today who's never done that. Jeff, would you do me a favor? Would you tell our listeners how they can do that today? Many people think the opposite of fear is courage. And I'm here to tell you that's not the opposite of fear. The opposite side of fear is faith. Ultimately, fear asks, what happens to me if, what happens to me if I get a diagnosis that I'm going to die? What happens to me if I get in a terrible car crash? What happens after I die? Where do you go? What is it like? And the man or the woman that knows Jesus Christ doesn't have to fear that because you already have the answers to that. The answer is that it is appointed unto a man once to die, the book of Hebrews says, and then after this, the judgment. But for Christians, those that have surrendered their soul to Jesus Christ, you are not judged on your sin. Christ himself has taken your judgment and placed it on the cross and paid the penalty for your sin. So when you stand before God, you stand righteous, declared not guilty because of what Jesus did. And if you're sitting there listening to this broadcast right now and you're thinking, well, I believe in Jesus, like I believe that there was a guy by the name of Jesus who lived a long time ago and died on a cross. But to you, he's no different than George Washington or Abraham Lincoln. That's not saving faith. You see, saving faith is when you say, I not only believe in that man, but I'm willing to bet my life on him. And the way that you can do that, very simply, there's no magic formula here. But if you are sincerely sorry for your sins and ready to change your life and recognizing, God, I can't fix my problems, only you can do this for me. You can come to him in a sincere prayer, a prayer that basically says, God, I'm a sinner and I don't deserve to go to heaven, but I believe you love me. Love me so much that you sent your son Jesus on a rescue mission to go get me. And this rescue mission cost him his life. And I am turning from my sin and I am turning to you, which means I'm trusting you and only you to forgive me, to clean me up, and to make me into a new man or a new woman. And if you will do that, the promises of Scripture are that all who call on the name of the Lord, and I'm going to add and really mean it, will be saved. So I just want to invite you right where you're at, whatever you're doing. Why don't you just pause right now? And if you haven't nailed this one down, why don't you just pray a sincere prayer from the heart, asking God to save you? In fact, I'll pray that over you right now. Would you just simply say, Father, forgive me because I've broken your laws and I've committed sins. And I believe the wages of sin is death. I deserve to die because of my sin. But you didn't want to leave me in my sin, so you sent your son Jesus to pay those wages for me. Jesus was willing to die on a cross so that my sin could be paid for. And God, I want to live eternally with you in heaven. God, I want to have abundant, joyful life right now here on earth. So God, I'm coming to you and saying, Father, forgive me for my sins. God, would you clean me up and make me into a new person? But more than anything else, God, I am placing my soul in your hands and saying from this point forward, you call the shots in my life. I don't. 
wherever you ask me to go, anything that you ask me to do, I will do it. You are my father. I am the child. I will follow you whatever you ask of me next. And if you'll pray that, and if you'll mean that, then I want to give you the promises of heaven, that God in heaven hears that prayer, he honors that prayer, and he'll turn you into a new person. And all that I want to ask you to do next is go tell somebody. Go tell somebody that's a Christian. Go to a church that loves Jesus and preaches the Bible and go tell them that you just made this commitment and you meant it. And they'll tell you what to do next. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, we've been talking today with former Army Ranger and Chaplain Jeff Struker, one of the heroes of Black Hawk Down. Jeff, God bless you and your ministry. Thank you for having me on the show today. Thank you so much. And as a career soldier myself, Jeff and I would like to wish everyone who has ever worn the uniform of these United States a happy Veterans Day. Thank you, veterans, for your service. Get your very own copy of this outstanding program with Black Hawk Down hero Jeff Strucker by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order online, swrc.com. Today in our Resource Center, we have a special Prophetic Messages for America DVD bundle. Three dynamic Bible teaching DVDs from Michael Samuel Smith that you'll want for you and your church. First, the DVD, American Destiny, 400 Years. Are there parallels between America's early history and ancient Israel's? Join us as we take a trip back in time and discover how America as we know it came to be. This DVD includes an interview with Pastor Dan Fisher, who tells the story of the black-robed regiment. You'll learn that it was preachers who assisted General Washington in securing our victory in the American Revolution. Next, the Cyrus Effect. Michael Samuel Smith shares a number of historic talking points that have never been made public by the established media. We believe that after watching this DVD, you'll be greatly inspired as you see the hand of God connect the Hebrew people time after time with their eternal city. And finally, the mystery of the red heifer. Would you believe two cows born in America in 2014 with the number seven on their foreheads are a sign from God for America? In this DVD, see what God told Israel to do with a red heifer and why. You'll also learn what's happening in Israel today and see how Jesus the Messiah fulfilled all the types and shadows of the red heifer 2,000 years ago. Get all three of these DVDs, American Destiny 400 Years, The Cyrus Effect, and The Mystery of the Red Heifer, all three, for a gift of $40 or more when you call one 800 652 Prophetic Messages for America Bundle, three DVDs for a gift of $40 or more. Order today by calling 1-800-652-1144. And you can always order online, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Are you or a loved one suffering from chronic back pain? diabetes, joint replacements, osteoarthritis, or neurological issues? Tomorrow, Dr. Joe Cristiano reveals how this cutting-edge therapy can rapidly replace damaged cells in the body with no side effects or allergic reactions. 
Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily podcast. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Thank you.